Welcome in to a special edition of the Wisports.net podcast, a special Sunday edition of our podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and for today's topic, more importantly, I'm the football editor and football writer at Wisports, and that is going to be the topic du jour of our special WSN podcast today on a Sunday. Usually these come out on Wednesdays, but we're going with a special edition today to break down what came out from week seven of the high school football season, and more importantly, what that allowed us to do at Wisports.net. As late last night, I was able to get all the scores in from the Saturday football games and the few that we were missing from, uh, from Friday, one we were missing from Friday, and put together not only the playoff qualifying report, as we've done the last couple weeks, but put together projected playoff field, projected playoff cut lines by picking winners and losers of every game left on the schedule in week eight, every game left on the schedule in week nine, almost 400 games total between those two weeks. And again, that allows us to put it all together and digest just where things stand, just where things might go. And it did lead to some very interesting results. Before we get into what those results were, just to kind of go through the methodology that uh, that I used. Again, I, I formatted all of my information, uh, essentially put it all into a nice big spreadsheet and uh, figured out which games were non-conference, get, uh, got those marked accordingly, which games, uh, which teams are uh, independents. There was one game involving an out-of-state team. Got everything noted that needed to be noted and then from there, got down to the business of picking a winner for every week eight game and picking a winner for every week nine game. Uh, some of them obviously are, are pretty easy. You know, I, I didn't even really have to look at the teams too close, just looked at their conference record. <coughs> Excuse me. If a 6-0 and team in conference played a 1-5 and team, there really wasn't a lot of uh, thought that went into it. It was pretty much an automatic victory that I assigned to the uh, team that was 6-0. and There were some games that, you know, they're between a, a team that's maybe 3-2 and two in conference right now and a team that's 2-3, and three. and you got to look at it a little bit closer, really kind of delve into it. Um, you know, you got to take into account home versus away. You got to take into account uh, what those teams have uh, played as far as a schedule to this point is one of those teams played the tougher teams in the league so far and the other team has played the weaker teams so all that goes into it and again went through and picked winners and losers of every game in the state from there able to compile all of that information and put together uh, add up the wins that I project with the wins that they have already for conference games and put together a projected final conference record for every team in the state. Uh, there's, uh, as you may have seen, some other folks that have uh, done something similar prior to week seven, in fact. Uh, a couple people on our message board that have done that. Uh, Kurt Hogg at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel uh, did that as well prior to week seven, put together some projected fields, projected cut lines. 
their methodology was a little bit different sometimes than, than what I had, but uh, ended up with some pretty similar results, I think. Um, so after, uh, again, I was able to put together all the, the final conference records, got to, got to uh, break down where everything stood. And as I tweeted last night, as it was uh, listed in the article that I published uh, late last night, based on my projections, 200 teams finished at 500 in conference or better. That is a number that's quite a bit lower than what we've had in the last few years, of course. Um, Hurley qualifies as an independent. They've already uh, clinched a playoff spot. There's a couple other independents that are in the hunt, by the way. That being Wausau East and Northland Pines. I project them both to go four and five overall. They would have to be a have to have a winning record overall to get in the playoffs. Um, but uh, I, I project them both to go four and five. I think uh, in my projections, I had Pines losing to Highland and uh, Wausau East has, I think it's Anago and Lakeland left needing to win both of those games. And I just, uh, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Now, if, if it does, obviously those, that's a uh, one to watch that could steal a playoff spot potentially. If, uh, if for instance, Wausau East is able, is able to beat both Antigo and Lakeland. Uh, could steal a spot from what I projected out. Uh, so 200 teams, again, at conference record of 500 or better. Hurley makes 201. That leaves 23 spots for teams that finish under 500. And uh, we, we first saw teams under 500 make the playoffs back in 2012. It was the first year that happened. There was four back then. There's been uh, some every year since going back, uh, except for 2016. There were no teams that finished under 500 that made the playoffs. However, 2017... There were 12 such teams that finished under 500 and made it. In 2018, last year, there were 14 teams. But this year, with more teams going to eight-player football, with a few different changes in co-op teams, I have 23 spots available for teams that finish under 500 in conference play. Uh, adjusted, uh, what would it be? 2014, I think it was um, the first tiebreaker that you go to for those teams that finish under 500 is the uh, is their conference winning percentage. So what that does is it gives an advantage if you're in a 10-team conference and you go four and five, you get in ahead of a team that goes three and four in an eight-team conference. So that means teams that finish four and five in league play are uh, added first from that group. I had six teams going four and five in conference play. De Pere, Green Bay Southwest, the Kohler Co-op, Madison West, Spooner, and Whitefish Bay. So they get in. That brings the total at 207. 17 spots left for teams that finish uh, either 3 and 4 or, in this case, 2 and 3. Because I had 16 teams that finished 3 and 4 get in. That left one spot for the first time ever. For a team that finished two and three in conference play. And in the projections that I did, I had eight teams that finished two and three. So then from there, we go down and, and follow the WI's criteria for uh, playoff qualification. And 
the math was pretty easy in this one. Fortunately, um, did not have to go to the seventh or eighth tiebreaker procedure. Um, it actually was uh, was the first one that I had to go to when looking at these teams. And what it came down to uh, is the first tiebreaker would be combined winning percentage of defeated conference opponents for conference games only. So what that does is it rewards a team if they beat one of the better teams in their conference. Most of the teams that finished two and three in conference play, they beat a team that went winless and they beat a team that went one and four. So their, their, uh, their number, if you will, their tiebreaker number would be uh, one and nine. That would be the combined conference record of the teams that they beat in conference play. However, Lakeside Lutheran beat Columbus, who in my projections, I had Columbus going three and two in conference and making it in the playoffs. So that gives Lakeside Lutheran a very strong tiebreaker number, actually. And I had them getting in as the final qualifier. And as I mentioned in my article and on Twitter last night, kind of interesting, among the eight teams that are vying for that final spot in my projections, one of them also was Watertown Luther Prep. Watertown Luther Prep beat Lakeside Lutheran head-to-head. However, head-to-head does not come into play yet because you had eight teams tied still, and not everybody played each other. So head-to-head does not come into play there. Had Lakeside Lutheran and Watertown Luther Prep been the last two teams left? Yes, then you go to -to head-to-head. But right now, you don't. And so because Lakeside beat Columbus their tiebreaker number is higher than that of Watertown Luther Prep, who actually beat Lakeside. So long story short, for the first time ever, we had a team that finished, uh, in my projections anyway, a team that finishes two and three in conference get into the playoffs. And again, that team is Lakeside Lutheran. And so that allows us to put together now the 224 teams that we project to make it into the playoffs. The fun part then begins from figuring out the cut lines. And that's where a lot of intrigue is coming in right now. And if you're, uh, if you're pro chaos, this is going to be a fun couple of weeks for you. Um, I don't know if it just seems like it because of recency bias or what, but it sure feels like there's a little bit more intrigue on all of the cut lines than there has been in the past. Uh, What teams are going to fall where? And keep in mind that projecting a winner and a loser for nearly 400 games, it only takes a few games going differently than what I projected for things to change. Now, I will say, looking back at last year's projections that I did after week seven, prior to week eight, they were pretty darn close. Uh, One of the division's uh, cut lines I nailed exactly. Five of them were within one team, up or down. And then one of the divisions was uh, two teams off. So the projections that I did this week, uh, that I did last night, don't expect it to change drastically. I mean, it's not like if, uh, if I had you as the fifth largest team in a division, it's not like you're all of a sudden going to be moving up to a different division. I mean, these are very close to where things are going to fall. One team up or down here, there most likely. So 224 teams figured out. Then we split them into 
32 equal divisions, or excuse me, seven equal divisions of 32 teams. If we look at the cut line at Division 1 and Division 2, that has Racine Park, who I have squeaking it into the playoffs as a 3-4 and four team, making it in and being the smallest Division 1 school. De Pere is the smallest, or excuse me, is the largest Division 2 school. Not a ton of intrigue on that cut line there. I mean, those teams that are right around the cut line between 1 and 2, um, you know, they're not the top of the line teams in either division necessarily. So, you know, not not uh, not a lot of earth-shattering stuff there. It does start to get really interesting as we go down the divisions, however. At the D2, D3 cut line, there's a lot of really good teams really close to the cut line. Uh, division 3, based on the projections we did before the year, where we had West appear going up, to Division Two, West Superior, of course, was in a state title game last year. You know, Division Three was, I think, a little bit weak, and you could see that in the coaches' poll and in some of the rankings. Where, you know, Catholic Memorial, you understand it, but they've got two losses, and they're still a dominating number one team in the rankings. Menashe has got a loss, and they're number two. Um, you know, there's just a little bit short on elite teams in Division Three based on those proje- projections we did before the year. However, Things get really interesting with the projections that we've now done heading into week eight because we have River Falls and DeForest as the two smallest teams in Division Two. Both are very good uh, uh, teams. DeForest, I think, has a very, very good chance to unseat Wanakee at the top of the Badger North. They play head-to-head in week nine. And that means that the largest teams uh, in Division Three. Ashwabanon, West Appear, Menominee, Stoughton, Whitefish Bay. All those teams we had projected to be into Division Two before the season started. But the way things have fallen, we have them dropping down to Division Three, And that would really strengthen the overall uh, strength of Division Three if that were to happen or if some of those teams went down. Ashwabanon was undefeated until getting shellacked by Bayport last week. But they've traditionally been a Division II school. West appear unbeaten, ranked uh, very highly in Division II, and certainly would enter Division III as one of the favorites. Menominee, very strong program. Stoughton, a solid group. Whitefish Bay brings a lot of strength out of the North Shore Conference. And especially the northern part of the state would really uh, get a lot tougher when you look at adding Ashwabanon, West appear Menominee to, uh, to the northern group in Division III, where... You know, some of the traditional powers like a Rice Lake is not even going to make the playoffs where, again, we thought West Appear might not end up in Division Three, And you kind of wondered where the uh, where the strength would be in the northern part of the state in Division Three. Medford is looking very, very good, dominating in the Great Northern Conference. But who else was kind of going to be in that group? An Onalaska, maybe a Menasha, New Richmond. I, I don't know. Um, so if it played out like this, again, the strength of Division Three would increase quite a bit, especially if, as I project, Catholic Memorial stays in Division Three. As I tweeted out last week, and uh, and Kurt uh, and Mark Stewart at the Journal Sentinel picked up on it and and went with the uh, projections that they had. Catholic Memorial is extremely close to the cut line between D three and D four, and in fact, in my projections, I have them as the smallest team. In Division Three, I've talked about it a couple of weeks now, about 
the outcry that could happen if Catholic Memorial were to bump down into Division 4. A lot of people are already upset that Catholic Memorial plays in Division 3. Feel like they should be in D1 or D2, where they perform very well against those kinds of teams in the Classic 8 Conference. Of course, Catholic Memorial is the largest, or excuse me, is the defending state champion in Division 3. They've been on top of the coaches poll all year, even though they've got a couple losses. And so where they fall is going to be really interesting to see. And if, if you're Team Chaos, you want to see some teams above Catholic Memorial sneak into the playoffs that maybe we don't project and have them bump down to Division 4 because it would be, uh, it would be chaos. It would be um, probably, I think, akin to the public-private outcry that we saw when Dominican was getting to state in boys basketball and, and dominating and you know some of the other uh, schools. The public-private has not been a big issue in football, in part because the divisions are a little more spread out, in part also because you know the, the private schools haven't dominated as much as, uh, as some of the other sports. Although last year, of course, we saw state champions in uh, D5 uh, with Springs, D4 with St. Catharines, and D3 with Catholic Memorial. But it, it, it's kind of not as big of a deal in football. This could significantly reignite that conversation and significantly push the needle on a public-private debate in football. Um, if you look at the bottom of Division Four, that could continue because I have defending state champion Racine St. Catharines as the smallest school in Division Four, which means there's probably a 50-50 chance that they would drop down to Division Five. And again, what that would mean for the not only the competitive balance of Division Four and Division Five, but also what it would mean for that public-private debate. Um, again, a couple of games going here or there, one team making it or not making it compared to what we thought could easily push St. Catharines down to Division 5. Likewise, at the bottom of Division 5, I thought St. Mary Springs was going to be pretty safely in Division 5 this year, but the way things have played out, not so much. They have uh, their enrollment at 293 in my projections, would place them as the smallest team in Division 5. By the way, Aquinas and Stratford are right there as well as small schools in Division 5, which means that there's a chance that Stratford and Springs could go down to Division 6. Um, but if St. Mary Springs goes down to D6, where, where they have been a number of times, they won it all in D5 last year, but two years ago, they were the champions in D6, and if uh, competed in D6 uh, uh, several times. But let's say, for the sake of chaos, that Catholic Memorial, the defending champion in D3, goes down to D4. Let's say that St. Catharines, the defending champion in D4, goes down to D5. And Springs, the defending champion in D5, goes down to D6. All private schools, all still very good, all still contenders for a state title, even though all have losses at some point this year. That will, again, reignite significantly the public-private debate and what that means and, and how it impacts high school football. So interest at, uh, at that 5-6 cut line as well. And again, Springs I have as the 
bottom team, the, the smallest team in D5. Aquinas is the second smallest team, and they've got a nice renaissance going on as they move to the Swall this year. And Stratford as the third smallest team in D5. And of course, we're uh, well aware of Stratford and the dominance that they have this year, having a lot of point and, and all of that. So what that might mean uh, if some bigger schools make the playoffs instead of some smaller schools and push those down. At the D6, D7 cut line, not as much intrigue there. Undefeated Johnson Creek I do have as the smallest team in D6. Uh, that's probably the biggest of note. Regis is getting close, but I do have them as the fourth smallest in D6 right now. The undefeated Ramblers, the top-ranked team in Division 6. And I, it would be, it would be a stretch to have them get all the way down into Division 7, but they're getting close. Um, in terms of the, the larger D7 schools, uh, Edgar's the fifth largest team, Blackhawk is the sixth largest team, but I think both of those teams are pretty safely into Division 7. And once again, the award for smallest school to make the playoffs in 11-player football uh, in my projections would go to Highland. 87 students, they've been in the playoffs the last couple years, fielding a very competitive team. In fact, they won a playoff game over Ithaca last year. So you can uh, check out all of the projections, if I have your team in, where they might fall in the um, projections and in the cut lines and in the divisional placements. You can check that out at wisports.net and see for yourself on what you think and how things might be impacted and what some of these things might mean. There will be some games, and we'll try to, to pick some out and, and highlight them here this week. And so make sure you follow me on Twitter at TravisWSN. There are some games that are very much swing type games where, you know, I picked it to go a certain way, but it, it you know, is a very tough pick. It's maybe a, a one where you could see it going differently than what I project. Uh, project. And if that happens, that could impact the playoff qualification where, you know, all of a sudden if a team posts an upset win, they get into the playoffs, it knocks out uh, one of those qualifiers, those under 500 qualifiers, it potentially changes the cut lines. There's some games like that. And we'll try to highlight those uh, coming up this week on, on WIS Sports and of course next week as well. By the way, we will redo all of these projections after week eight to see what might have changed, what's, what things went differently than what I thought in week eight and how that would impact things. So you can find that on wisports.net next week. We'll, uh, we'll break it down hopefully Saturday of next week to figure out, again, what changes there are and kind of redo our projections following week eight. Um, hopefully, I, I, I root for chaos sometimes, but I tell you one thing I don't root for is a thousand tiebreakers that I have to go through. So if uh, you know if we get exactly all of the three and four teams in the playoffs and none of the two and threes make it, I I don't have a problem with that because it would make the tiebreaker process a whole lot easier uh, for for me on uh, next week's projections and of course that final Friday night of the regular season. So if you have any thoughts on you know what what. Uh, my projections say what they indicate, what the cut lines might be. Certainly feel free to share them. Tweet at me at TravisWSN. And uh, this will be a big, big topic of conversation, of course, the next several weeks. Um, continue, as I said, to, 
kind of hand out some little tidbits on games to watch uh, Friday night once the scores start coming in. Certainly try to highlight any of the games that uh, went differently than I projected and, and result in a team getting in or being left out compared to what I had and kind of see where things fall. One thing I won't be doing um, is doing projections of seeding, either after this is done, you know, after uh, after week seven or week eight or week nine. I just, I, I, I don't get that far into it to project where, what the groupings are going to be or what the seedings are going to be from those groupings. It's just, um, there's a lot more that goes into it and it's an inexact science, even more so than this, when you start talking about, well, what are coaches going to do? Because they don't have a hard and fast criteria that they have to use yet. Uh, they can vote on seeding however they see fit. And so it does uh, does result in some times where things go quite differently than, than maybe what you expect. Um, of course, this is the last year where coaches will do the seeding, beginning in 2020. There is a, uh, a already a um, mandate passed by the WIAA that it will be automatic seeding in 2020. They're just working on the criteria and the actual formula to be utilized for the automatic seeding. It's a committee that I've been on, and uh, Tony Biolo is kind of heading up, and Drake Zortman, uh, assistant coach at Homestead, has taken kind of a point on to put together some different ideas on what should be important in that seeding process, what factors should you uh, weigh, how heavily should those factors be weighed, and uh, looking forward to applying that criteria that is developed to this year to compare how it goes with what the coaches do and also how it compares with how things actually play out, and then uh, getting it announced and getting it uh Put on uh, on on paper, if you will, and applied towards uh, the 2020 season next year. So, uh, again, a lot coming out on Wisports.net the next few days, the next couple weeks here. Um, all kinds of information coming out. You can look forward on Monday to our prep props articles, where we'll highlight the top individual performances in the state in terms of statistical performances on offense. Also the Team and Player of the Week polls coming out on Monday. Coaches rankings coming out on Tuesday. Eight-player preview uh, on Wednesday. Our weekly preview on Thursday. And just rolling right along in the high school football season. So it's uh, it's fun to get going on some of this playoff projection stuff. And again, we'll do it again after week eight. Um, it means it's close. It means that the high school playoffs are very close just around the corner. It's always kind of a fun, wild time to wrap up the last couple of weeks of the regular season here. We will have another playoff, or excuse me, another podcast that will come out on Wednesday. We'll spend that one a little bit more digging into some of the big matchups to look for in week eight, some of the conference title implications that are out there, some of the big games uh, that will be coming out as well. Um, but did want to get this one out today to really delve into these playoff projections that we have, uh, have now done on Wisports.net. But until then, uh, we will see you and talk to you on Wednesday. Uh, I am Travis Wilson, General Manager at Wisports.net. This has been a Wisports.net podcast. We'll see you at a game.